episode 320. Manny Wolf, the unbreakable speaker. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. I'm Adam Lewis Walker, host of Awaken Your Alpha, the number one men's development podcast for inspirational stories and strategies to thrive as a man. As a coach, keynote speaker, and best-selling author, it has been my mission going on four years on the podcast to bring you the best, the very best, the struggles, the action, and to share the real journey with you. Please subscribe to support the show through ayalpha.com and join the conversation in the Facebook group, Awaken Your Alpha with ALW. Do the little guy a favor, subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my back. Assistagram for all your personal Instagram growth, branding, and management needs. So jump over to assistagram.us. Now let's get into the show. It's all about public speaking. We have Manny Wolf on the line and he's a public speaking coach. He's the author of Tower of the Unbreakable Man, which I also like the sound of and I want to dig into that as well. He's the founder of the Thousand Speakers Academy. Uh, we're going to dig into all and everything entrepreneurial, speaking and unbreakable. Manny, are you ready to awaken your alpha today? I'm absolutely ready. I feel like it might have awakened when I woke up this morning. Yes, that's that's. <laughs> want to do it every day. It's awesome. So that intro is quite brief, but yeah. clear and to the point, which is what I like when uh, I'm interviewing someone. It's very clear where this is going to sort of the areas it's going to go. Is there anything you'd like to add or highlight to your introduction? Uh, I, I think probably good PR suggests that I should say that the book, The Tao of the Unbreakable Man, is an international bestseller. Uh, it's kind of a vanity metric these days. You know? <laughs> the reason I bring that up is because I feel it speaks to the storytelling, mm. you know, and storytelling is a central theme in my speaker training. Yeah. So there's a connection there for sure. The origin, where are you coming to us from today and where are you originally from? What did you want to be growing up and what got you to this point? So where I came from is the San Francisco Bay area uh, home of legendary hip hop and hippies too. And where <laughs> I live now is about uh, 150 miles from there. So I basically am California born and raised, mm -hmm. like never lived anywhere besides California. Um, what I wanted to do as a kid was figure out what the hell was going on around me. Mm. Um, if you've dove into the book at all, you'll know that I was born into a cult. And it was a really bizarre, bizarre environment. And I think whether I had the potential for communication more than another person or not, I think it got pulled out because I, I obsessed so much on like, even as a kid, like why, why are things like this in my life? Uh, you know, I had... I had this sort of like, some people get the, uh, what I call the luxury of denial. Mm. <laughs> you know? and, and I never had that, right? Um, I could tell even from a very young age that shit was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you said. It's like summing up a cult. <laughs> yeah. 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 And uh, I explored it a lot in the book. Um, and it was really actually a nice experience to be able to sit down and, and put words to it and sort of you know, bring it to life in that way so that I could look at it and not just feel it inside of me. But, but all that is secondary to, I really believe that, that communication was sort of drawn out of me in an effort to explain my environment. Mm. Yeah. It was, it was a really, really strange environment. Yeah. So, I mean, 
talk to us about how do you go about, especially obviously it's really hard when you're young. How do you go about yeah. getting out of that kind of environment? Well, so there are different kinds of uh, cults. There are, there are the kind that are very, very uh, like militant and tightly regimented. Yeah. You, you might think of, I, I don't know if these are even still popular names, but like the Moonies, um, the uh, People's Temple in Guyana with Jim Jones, you know, don't drink okay. the Kool-Aid. <laughs> you know, that, that expression comes from that cult oh. and, and their mass suicide event. By the way, crazy anecdote. My father was physically chased out of the People's Temple by Jim Jones about three and a half weeks before the mass suicide. Oh, physically chased out of the place because he wouldn't toe the line. <laughs> he wouldn't. He kept asking all these questions. <laughs> so he, was, he was chased out into the jungle. <laughs> before they, like, yeah, Don't ask like, questions. <laughs> but like less than a month before that all happened. Oh, my goodness. So, but those, those were different, right? They were tightly yeah. regimented. And the leaders were, I, I assume consciously focused on keeping people under their control. Yeah. The one I was born into was, it was a little less, um, it wasn't militant at all. It was more um, new agey. Yeah. And um, so it didn't have quite that same level of scrutiny and control. But basically when the time came that it made sense to give us the distance, I don't think there was a lot of big kind of to do about it. And mm. so in a way, my blood family sort of physically just sort of separated. But it's interesting because emotionally and intellectually, they didn't separate for a long, long time. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, it's quite a personal question. Do you think, you know, obviously having that origins and upbringing, is there aspects that now you can, you really kind of notice in, in, in how you are that you think are due to obviously that upbringing, things that are maybe some positive things and other things you think, oh, that's because of what, you know, the upbringing and, kind of their influence and stuff. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, I tend to filter everything through a lens of how can this benefit me? How can this serve mm. me? Particularly, you know, I mean, that's, that's what a good entrepreneur does, right? Because yeah. the road that we're on is so crazy that if we don't have the mindset, nothing else will really fall into place. And so for me, I, I developed the mindset early on, well, somewhat early on. <laughs> I was self-destructive for quite a while. Uh, I, at some point, I started to develop the mindset of like, what can I take from this? What can I learn from this? How can I use uh, growing up in a cult and experiencing neglect and emotional abuse and all that to benefit me? How can I take, you know, the, the drugs and the uh, crime and all the things from my childhood and my young adult life and, and learn from them? How yeah. can them? So in that sense, yes, absolutely. Everything that happened I don't, I want to say this in a way that doesn't sound like that bullshit pie in the sky, fanning sunshine on your denial kind of way that we talk as entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be that guy ever. Mm. So when I say I used it all to benefit me, I mean it. Mm. You know, I'm not the interview equivalent of the guy who says, so what's fabulous with you today? You know, <laughs> so Adam, tell me what you're grateful for today. You've never spoken to the guy before, you know, it's like, come on. Man. But seriously, um, it's, it's, it all benefited me. 
but it's because I made it benefit. Me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You mentioned the, you know, the, the abuse and sort of the background and it may be out of the cult. When was kind of a, a time that was probably one of your darker days and say it could be when you're, you know, more in adult life outside of the cult or when you really thought this is a challenge. Looking back, you think that was really a challenge and, and you know, it makes you feel better now because you're not there. But, you know, what was one of the, the toughest times for you to get through? I think the toughest time was probably from birth to 28. Whoa. And how old were you when you got out of the, the cult? A sort of, well, when we got that physical proximity I was talking to you about was yeah. when I was 14. Okay. But see, we lived in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was born there, and that was like the epicenter of the whole hippie movement. Yeah. The West Coast California hippie thing. People came from all over the world to be part of that. Yeah. And so you couldn't throw a Frisbee without hitting two Colts and a rock band that was about to get signed. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 We, we literally lived down the street from Jefferson Airplane and Janis Joplin. Like, it, that's what the Bay yeah. Area was like back then. Yeah. And uh, so uh, you didn't know how weird things were in your own environment because the larger environment was like, it was like an acid trip playing out all the time. I was say, so when you came out of the, the cult, it, <laughs> it wasn't that much of a, it wasn't like a complete, it was tough to readjust to normal life. Was it still a bit? <laughs> like, well, yeah. See, because when I was about eight, we, the whole group moved from that, which, which made us feel normal and, and, and regular to the middle of uh, the most violent part of town in one of the top 10 most violent cities in the United States. We just inexplicably moved there. Like we couldn't have been more targets than we were. Yeah. It was a Mexican ghetto and here comes 65 hippies all in like painted up buses. You know? <laughs> yeah. Moving into the one house in the middle of the neighborhood that was a historic landmark. So it was perfectly preserved surrounded on all sides by dilapidated houses and you know pit bulls on their chains and cars parked on the lawn and gangsters sitting on the front porch like it was as surreal as anything i've ever experienced yeah i've never heard anything like that <laughs> right <laughs> so that's when i realized how different we were yeah you know before then i had no idea yeah um that's when it really got hard that's when it got hard. That's when I had to, I literally started having to fight every day. It was just a constant, constant thing because I was this little long haired white hippie kid with homemade clothes, you know, living in the ghetto. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like, I can just imagine it's just asking for it. Oh. Asking, totally. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is harsh for a kid to be put in that environment. Yeah. It's not like yeah. you can do about that. Wow. <laughs> so, what happened there was that like kind of that set some ideas and beliefs in me that I would then take with me until right before my 28th birthday, uh, where I found myself holding a gun in my hand and actually planning to go hunt someone down and kill them. Whoa. Yeah. Did you, did you know the person? Or? I did know the person. Yeah. He had, he had allegedly stolen everything I owned, which wasn't much at that point yeah. while I was in jail. So we were supposedly friends and then I went to jail and I could never prove or disprove this. And now that it's been so long ago, like I don't even care anymore. Yeah. But at that time mm. I thought I had to save face. So I figured out, oh, great. I gotta, I gotta go deal with this guy. And this guy was not one of those guys that you just deal with once. 
you know? Yeah. About 99% of people who puff up their chests and talk shit are what I call, you know, posers. Yeah. And there's about 1% who are genuine, genuine badasses. Yeah. Genuine hard cases. He was a genuine hard case. Yeah. I was not looking forward to that conflict. <laughs> Whoa. So some, some other people who sort of knew me and liked me heard about it. And uh, they, it, the short story is some guy calls me up and he says, hey, I'm coming down. I'm going to talk to you. He says, okay, great. He comes down, knocks on the door. He says, come on out here for a minute. I come out to his truck. He says, I want to show you something. He reaches in the passenger side glove box and he pulls out what, what, what are two handguns hands one of them to me, puts it in my hand in an oily rag. And <laughs> the thing that it's like, it's funny how time slows down in moments like that, right? Everything, like just whoosh, slow. Like there's a bird flying by and you can see its wings flapping. You know like a, I mean? John, a John Woo movie. <laughs> yeah, totally like a John Woo movie. And, and it's like, <laughs> shit just got real. And I'm looking at this gun and I look at the handle and I see file marks on the handle which is, I presume, where the serial number was filed off. And I noticed that the, that the butt of the gun is wrapped in electrical tape. All of these things that I know from movies, you know, <laughs> are telling me that this is, a, this is an illegal firearm. Yeah. And I just remember feeling the weight of it. It's like, fuck, this thing's heavy, man. You know, mm. and smelling the oil on the rag and just all this stuff. And he says, we're going to go find that guy and we're going to take care of this once and for all. And so that was the bit, that was my turning point in yeah. life right there. It's not the moment where everything got better. Yeah. But it's the moment where I said, I can't stay in this any longer. I'm not willing to even attempt to go hunt someone down in cold blood because they stole what amounted to five boxes of my stuff. Yeah. I'm just not willing to do it. But you can't tell people in that life. No, yeah. You know, that's being soft. Yeah, it's easy to have the clarity now, but, you know, right. obviously a lot of people don't have the clarity at that time. They're just like, like you say, it pretty much took everything you had to a certain extent at that time. Well, what it's interesting wow. what it took was a willingness to completely abandon everything I've ever known. That's what it took. It took going, I don't know what's on the other side, but I can't stay here anymore. Yeah. It could be a thousand foot drop into darkness for all I know, but I can't stay here anymore. And uh, it's, it's interesting because I, I teach that same thing to people with public speaking. Yeah. What, what's the biggest fear people have of public speaking? Doing it, right? Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, normally you say, what's the biggest fear? And I'm just like, public speaking. I was right. Just, <laughs> right off the bat. Laughing at them. Or just, yeah, it's just doing it. So, <laughs> so, so it's a it fear. Sucks, of like, once you're up there, even if, well, it's, that's definitely not as bad as thinking about it. Like, yeah, right. thinking about doing right. it. Yeah. <laughs> it. It's a fear of the unknown, man. Yeah. It's a fear of like, I don't know what will happen to me. Will a group of people reject me? Which is a primal, primal mm. fear, right? In our society, we tend to, sugarcoat rejection and make it like, oh, you shouldn't be afraid of rejection. Well, guess what? <laughs> Enough rejection is death, mm. right? So when I, when I teach people about public speaking and, and I'm never in the superficial realm, I'm never in the technique realm. Mm. It's all about, even though they don't know this coming in, <laughs> it's all about completely changing and developing who you are and becoming radically self-aware and being willing to you know, let go of everything you ever know. Yeah. 
I love this. And I'm, I'm, and I'm glad you transitioned. I'm thinking, how are we going to go from the, <laughs> going to kill someone to public speaking? <laughs> Nicely done. Obviously, that was, a, like you said, a huge moment in your journey, in your life, obviously. Yeah. How did you personally kind of transition to kind of public speaking? And, fight? and when did you, like you say, you didn't know what was on the other side. When yeah. did it start to become like, oh, this could be something or I'm going to go in this direction a bit more and then really feel like, you know, you're on the right path in terms of your life? Yeah, boy, that, that, that idea of being on the right path um, and having clarity about it is maybe a place where we need to shine more light and, and you know, kill more sacred cows. Because again, in the, um, in the community that you and I live in, there's a lot of talk about that, right? And it's all lip service. It's all superficial. Mm. Guess what? You don't always know if you're on the right path. Michael Gerber, you know who that is? The guy yeah. who wrote the E-Myth? Yeah. One of my heroes. He said something that has stuck with me to this day. Someone asked him, why did you develop the E-Myth Academy? Did you want to work with entrepreneurs? He said, no. No, I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do. I was giving talks you know, for a company. Uh, a lot of the people that started coming through were entrepreneurs. I started being fascinated by the resilience. You know, I liked the, the person, the type yeah. be an entrepreneur. And I started tailoring my talks to them a little bit and it just showed up little by little. Yeah. And here's what he said that's so beautiful. He said, it showed up, it presented itself to me. It was elegant. It was compelling. It was seductive. And at some point I found I couldn't stop thinking about it. He didn't choose it at the beginning. Yeah. Right. And that's the same way with me in public speaking. Yeah. I remember before I left my old life, a best friend of mine and I were roommates and we we're uh, smoking pot early in the morning, <laughs> which I don't do anymore. We're talking about the lyrics that the beastie boys, how good they are at writing lyrics. Right. And I said, I know every time I hear whatever it was, I just want to do whatever. And I just out of the blue, he said, you know, just, and, and I can't stress this enough. We're very, very stoned. <laughs> I say, this sounds like a like 1990s. Yeah. Like dude, where's my car? I was like, see. Right, yeah. But it was actually very profound. Right. Yeah. He just, he just said out of the blue, like the thought just came and hit him in the head. He goes, you know, if you say the right words the right way at the right time, you can make anybody feel anything. And it just it was like a seed. Yeah. It just went into my brain and stayed there. Like I'm talking about from when I was 22 till now. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm a lot older than 22. <laughs> <laughs> and it just germinated and it germinated. And I remember revisiting that little thought 10 years later going, God, I wonder if like, I wonder if that's true. And then I wonder if I could do that. And then I wonder, you know, I always realized I love communication that led to, I wonder if communication could be the thing I do with my life. Yeah. And then it led to what, you know, that led to the question, what do I want to do? Like I went on this big purpose quest, like a lot of us do. Yeah. And I asked myself the question for maybe a decade. What can I do that takes every talent I have, every skill that I've been given, forces me to get better at them, and then forces me to learn new skills for the rest of my life and 
serves people in a way that is meaningful to me, meaningful to them, and the highest way I can serve them. Yeah. Now, I will tell you, if you can answer that question in anything less than a few years, you don't have the right answer. <laughs> you, you are not there yet. That shit takes time. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that was the process for me. But the point of it is this, is like, there was no one aha moment. There was no one, I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it still reveals itself to me. Yeah. Um, but I know now, and I had to go through what I would refer to as a complete ego death, even to get here. I had to let go of my family completely mm. because they would criticize and judge and, and, and nag and, and just basically not support that I was dedicating my life to the art of powerful communication. Yeah. What I would find out, figure out later is that it made them very insecure about their own way they showed up. It even came down to, do I continue to follow this or do I let it go so I can like make my family relaxed around me? Yeah. It's tough. No, it's very, very tough, tough times. And, and I know a lot of people have experienced that in, to varying degrees of whenever sure. you try and do something different and, you know, yeah. from yeah. the norm, especially in, in that family unit, kind of like the, the expected things to do. It comes yeah. up a lot. Yeah. It can be brutal. It can be brutal. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't think there's going to be a specific person, but I mean, maybe more in um, when you kind of got on the, the, the communication and really gunning for like the public sure. speakers, they might've been someone who helped, if anyone, because it sounds very situational, uh, but who helped awaken your alpha in terms of, or someone you aspire to, you thought, I like, I like how they show up in a, in a speaking scenario or a public speaking scenario, yeah. that, yeah. That, especially in the early days. Well, I love that question. Um, and I have to say, a lot of times I'll, I'll do these interviews and someone will sort of kind of slap a self-serving question on there, you know, like try mm. to steer it back. But I, I have to tell you, this is not that. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Even though we want to connect it back to your, your podcast, there's a, I, I just, if you've done, if you've been interviewed before, you know that a lot of times the, the interviewer doesn't really yep. know what they're doing. So mercifully, this isn't that. Um, Thank you. I, I say, I try, I, I didn't try to listen to the answers. Yeah. <laughs> the, if you're not, and someone's actually like explained in what they were saying, their journey or something. And then you ask a, a question where they've right. literally just answered. Right. <laughs> That's the biggest clanger. <laughs> anyway. So like for me, um, I, I have some ideas about, I would characterize myself as 100 fucking percent alpha, you know, but real. I don't have to puff up in front of anyone. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if, if you think I don't deliver what I say I deliver, come watch me speak, you know, come, yeah. come in and be trained by me, see how I do what I do. But so all of this to me, the way that it connects to, to awakening my alpha is usually people don't just go through their whole life understanding if they're truly like alpha, right? Yeah. They don't get it. And then they get these bullshit ideas from, from social media and from the world about what alpha means, which is complete garbage, as, as you know. Yeah. And um, so I went on a journey to, to learn about myself without a doubt. 
I studied martial arts for years and years and years. Um, I had to face all kinds of internal demons, such as the, the need for external validation from my family. You know, that was a huge one. That was a David and Goliath thing. Mm. You know, the, the being willing to abandon everything I had ever known. All of these things, I would say those all were stepping stones in realizing, and I think this is a very alpha thing, I don't have shit to prove to anyone. You know? Yeah. And a lot of men, we gauge our, our sort of the, the distilled essence of whether we're an alpha or not by what we do in a clutch situation, right? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you a quick story about that. When I still was in that world and living in that city where I went to jail and the guy took everything from me, I had a, a beautiful wife at that time. I was married young and foolish and, you know, we had the most... We had a Sid and Nancy relationship <laughs> from the Sex Pistols. Like it was as volatile as you could imagine, right? And at one point, she befriends this girl who is a, a real wild child. And th th this girl is an outlaw through and through. And so <laughs> yeah. she, she starts dating this guy who's not just an outlaw. He's the kind of outlaw who can make things happen in the world while he's in jail. Yeah. He's, he's a shot Scary caller. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not the sort of dude you want to be around. Yeah. And, and my wife at that time, her best friend, the girl, loved to stir up trouble. So we would have these fights. She would go to her best friend. Her best friend would, you know, filter everything through yep. protecting my home girl. Oh, then my. she'd tell her insanely dangerous boyfriend <laughs> about me. But you're you're gonna die. <laughs> yeah. And and it's it was it was comical in a way because like at that point in my life, if I was soaking wet, having a winter jacket on, and holding a German shepherd, I probably weighed about 150 pounds. I was really small. Yeah. This guy was like 250 pounds all tattoos and bad attitude and just like there was about nine months there where I lived in fear. Yeah. One day, one night I'm at a party and this guy shows up and I, I think of this, like in, in terms of that, like masculine idea of how would we handle these clutch situations? I think of this is a pretty good way uh, to, to this is a pretty good. One of those moments, right? I know he's there and he's got five of his friends with him yeah and everybody rushes up to me and goes dude he's here <laughs> <laughs> oh crap <laughs> yeah and so i realized that there was nothing else to do so i just walked up to him and i said are you shane he said yes and i said i'm he goes i know who you are <laughs> damn so hope, hoping he did <laughs> yeah. and and so i just said look man i've been living in fear of you for nine months what are we going to do here? You know, he's <laughs> like a foot taller it. He's than probably me. like, huh? Yeah, and <laughs> I wasn't. Really happen. Yeah. I was not trying to act tough at all. Yeah, you, just, you know, <laughs> just like I'm done. I, I need you to understand. When it, what's, when it over with, one way or another. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm done living in fear of you. So either you know, we settle this right now, one way or another. You know, and and I think I even told him I don't expect <laughs> to walk away from this, <laughs> but I promise you, you're going to lose a finger. You know. <laughs> And he just looked at me and he smiled and he said, man, you have nothing to worry about. Right. So that was yeah. like an amazing moment for me. 
Um, and even as I tell the story now, I can just put myself back there into that fear. <laughs> so scary. Man. Yeah. But I, I mean, how do I connect all these things to awakening my alpha? Mm. It was just a process of moments like that. It's where... like you're facing your fear, number one. And it's like that. Yeah. What you yeah. think about it is, you know, 99% yeah. of the time is way worse than the reality. Absolutely. And you remember a few minutes ago, I said that I asked myself the question for a long, long time. What can I do that will call upon all my strengths and force me to get better at other things? Well, facing my fear was one of the things I was not good at. Mm. Right. And so all of these things that we're talking about directly feed into and influence the way I approach what seems like the innocuous task of teaching people how to be good speakers. Like it's all in there. It's yeah. a holistic approach. Um, I think awakening your alpha is just owning yourself. I almost said owning your power, but it's owning everything, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Cause it's not all power. <laughs> right. No, it's not. But there's a power in knowing you know, truthfully being able to assess yourself. Yeah. Definitely. I can't do this, but I can't do that. Yeah. Talking about the public speaking. I mean, I, I'm very tempted for this whole interview just to go, cause I'm loving that the conversation, how it's going, but is there in your process, is it as not as simple, but is there kind of some key mistakes, I suppose that people make when they come that are, or are making when you, they come to you in general and some of the, the key steps that you think, I know you say you don't approach it in that, that kind of, got to do this this and this but some key steps the way you approach to get them better absolutely man <clears throat> so um the key mistakes that people typically make are assumptions and mindset stuff and what i mean by that is uh the the quote that or the the not the quote but the request that i get every so often that cracks me up somebody who will be a follower or a friend on social media or something will reach out and say, Hey man, I just got invited to speak. Any quick tips on how I can crush it? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, my response is always the same. Yeah. I got one quick tip. Start practicing three years ago. <laughs> you, know? you don't just get some quick tips and crush it. Right. Yeah. So, so it's a mindset issue. It's an issue that there's an outside in fix that you can do in a short term that will, change the whole way you show up in a clutch situation. Mm. And then when I put it like that, usually people go, yeah, that's I, I'm a little embarrassed that I was thinking. Yeah, that that makes sense. <laughs> so the fundamentals are this, you know, you said, what are some of the ways I, the things that I teach and there are steps or mm. there, are, there are essential pieces. It's just not techniques as so much. Yeah. It's how to get in touch with the principles that have always made communication either effective or not effective. Speaking to a group of people requires more focus, more awareness, and more, believe it or not, listening than having a conversation. And so that's a, that's a mindset shift that I, <clears throat> I need to make for people. Yeah. Um, one of the big things we do is we focus on the story. And again, not in the way that that I see a lot of people talking about storytelling and brand story and core story. Yeah. Um, I have a model that I've created after teaching this so many times, I call the question mark story model. And actually in a few, in a few instances, I did that here with you. Um, what you need to know about it is that the hero's journey is not enough on its own. The hero's journey works when you're reading about a person 
that is fictional or that you'll never know, right? Mm. But if it's me talking to you about my story, you need more than that if the outcome that we're both after is you know, like, and trusting me. Yeah. Okay. And so we would start with, for instance, in my case, we'd start with the story about holding the gun and planning, literally planning to kill someone. Yeah. That's a shocker. But I can't just go from there to, and then I went on this big process and I got better and I learned this and now I'm here. And yeah. this is why I can teach you. It's, it's insincere. It's incomplete. You have to go backwards in time from there. Hmm. You have to go through what I call the back history period. Yeah. You need to know why it's a big deal that that happened to me. For all you know, I could have been raised by outlaws and killers. In which case that would have been nothing. Yeah. Right? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So you need context. So we create the context. Then we come back to that same story again. Now, if you create the context correctly, when you come back to that same story, it's like they never heard it before. And it hits them in the face about 10 times as hard as the first time you said it. It, it is awe striking, right? Yeah. People are just like, oh my God. Holy crap. <laughs> you know, then when you've done that work, and by the way, for those of you listening that are marketers, for those of you listening that are wondering, yes, but how can I use this to get more clients from this stage? You take the main objections that you face and you story them into the back end. You put them in as moments in your story because the main objections that you face are always things that you've struggled with in the past. Like they always are, right? Yeah. People who have never struggled to make money, never have a problem asking for money. Yeah. Just as an example, right? So you put the objections in a very specific way that I won't reveal here. You put the <laughs> objections into the back history. And then when you're going through the hero's journey part, after you've hit that main story first once, then again, as you're going through the hero's journey, you put the overcoming of the objections in a story. Right? Love it. Yeah. And so this this is a, a much more natural, nuanced way of doing what those platform seller speakers call seeding. Mm. People can see through seeding for the most part. I mean, it's better than just 45 minutes of story, 15 minutes of pitch. Yeah. But it's better still to have it all be just part of the story. Yeah. Like for me, for me, there actually is a huge journey yeah. from being afraid of asking for money to learning how to yeah. ask for that. And what you just touched on there, I just think of some of the worst examples I've seen where like you literally, like you said, it's literally great talk. They literally are like, right, I've finished my great talk now. Now I'm going to pitch for 15 minutes. And it's yeah. just like, uh, and you, you know, you can feel people's minds switching off because they feel, oh, the good bit's finished. Now yeah. it's this bit. And it's kind right. of like, like, it feels like the speaker's kind of resigned to it. Like, like they've earned it because they gave you a good talk. Now they get to do, do this. Like they've earned it, you're like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> totally, man. Totally. Right. And it's like you're, it's like you're cruising in your Ferrari down the freeway at 90 miles an hour and suddenly you throw it into reverse. <laughs> you know, the energy just goes. Boom. And like so, when you see it done well, like you're sort of the, how you're talking about yeah. it and that kind of process just, it's kind of, you know, it's just so different. But obviously, yeah. and way more effective, and just, and it's just, it's even, yeah. if, even if you're not sold, for example, and but it's just nice to still be in the story and to listen to, you know, I think that's a huge, you know, a good story, no matter who you are, is very interesting. And like you, like you say, that question, you want to find out what happened. <laughs> what exactly. Happened. Exactly. And for me, you know, I know there are a lot of people who have made their peace with 
just just grinding you for a sale. And I yeah. don't care what you guys call it, by the way. You know if you're grinding me for a sale. If I'm saying no and you're not relenting, you're grinding me for a sale, no matter how you justify it in your head. For most of us, that doesn't feel good. No. And so if you set the stage correctly and you qualify correctly and you go through this whole process correctly, what happens is the people that are, are meant to fit with you go, oh my God, you're absolutely the person. Because now I know your story. Now I know you. Now I know that you've overcome what I'm afraid of. Now I know all these things and never once did it feel like I was pushing you, but instead I was like just drawing you toward me. So then when you get to the end, you can just say, who'd like to know more? I've seen like the one well, they literally like, they're like, oh, is that? They literally go, okay. And they, they, they're finished, they're gone. Yeah. And there's not that like 10, 15 minute painful experience for right. like 90% of the audience. <laughs> right. Then the next big piece for people is how do I get over this self-consciousness? How do I get over this fear of the stage and everything? For that, I use what I call a totem. I want you to take something or someone, real or imagined, it could be a superhero for all I care, it doesn't matter, and I want you to do an intentional bit of work where you say, I choose, in my case, a Black Panther as my totem. And I choose it because when I was a little boy, I went to the zoo and I saw a Black Panther. And to me, that Black Panther embodied strength, poise, calm, power, all the things I want you to feel the minute I walk out on that stage, before I ever open my mouth. That's essential. Yeah. You do this work beforehand and you learn how to just keep charging your subconscious with all these traits. And so I go through this with my students. I say, pick one. One girl in my most recent course picked Oprah. So that's a great one. Yeah. What does she embody for you? compassion, wisdom, love. Great. Perfect. Keep saying it over and over again. And as I watch her videos, her training videos, I see her getting more and more calm, more and more confident, right? Showing more and more of exactly what she chose to show. So the whole idea of the totem is it's a conduit. If there was a veil between the conscious, which can only process little bits of information at a time, and the subconscious, which can process vast bits of information at the same time. The totem is a conduit, it's a tube. And choosing the characteristics you want to embody is taking them and putting them through that tube so they pass through to the subconscious. Once they're firmly in the subconscious, listen up in the cheap seats, because this is the good stuff. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it anymore. It happens automatically. That's, that's why I laugh when people say, got any quick tips to help me crush it, right? <laughs> you, you can't be thinking about your performance when you're on stage. Yeah. No actor thinks about their performance on stage, right? They're yeah. in it. You can't be in it and judging it at the same time. Yeah. That's just a clusterfuck, <laughs> man. <laughs> so let's do the work beforehand. Like I promise you, when I walk out on stage, people know exactly what to expect from me. Mm. So before I open my mouth, the whole audience is connected. They're like, yes, this is going to be good. Right? Yeah. When you do that, you've won the audience over before you open your mouth. When you win the audience over before you open your mouth, you don't have to work for anything anymore. You just let it flow.
You just connect. You just tell that story. You just focus on the audience. Anything less is self-centered, self-focused, and limiting. Hmm. So which do you want to do? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, do you want to so be on stage worrying about you? Or do you want to be on stage like an avatar going, I am here to bring change yeah. to you? And like yeah. we said, that like when you're first coming out and talking about the audience and they're, mm-hmm. like you've got them straight away, it's like it's because they just want to, like, they can relax and enjoy what you're yes. going to say because it's like they're, they're almost as anxious. If you've got any anxiety, they're anxious as the, oh, is he or she going to be good? That's yes. what they're thinking. And they're just thinking, yes. am I about to waste, waste the next 10, 15, 20 minutes of my life? Like they want to, and as soon as they know, ah, oh, like you say, just, yes. they can relax. And that's then it's, perfect, you know, that's the vibe. Yeah, yeah. That's perfect. That is exactly right. Mm. What people don't realize when they're afraid of getting on stage is that the audience is rooting for you. <laughs> and it's not because they're such good people. It's because they want to justify the fact that they're there. So let's use that. Mm. Right? <laughs> so, so I go through that process with the totem and, and, and sort of charging yourself with what exactly what you want to project. And then I have some other steps to show you how to sort of turn it up to 11 before you speak. And all that together, I call flipping the happy switch. <laughs> it's a deliberate way to walk out there and go click and have the whole audience go, ah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't want this to sound like a question to shoehorn in, but I ask because I'm, I'm more curious about now based on all what we've heard of the backstory. Is there or sure. has there ever been an impactful book or a book that you recommend to people or does there want to exist around public speaking or just in general, one that was inspirational for you at any stage? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, still for me, the granddaddy of all is the seven habits of highly effective people. And I will say, I've said this on many interviews. I've seen people, and this is not a judgment. This is a praise. I've seen people take one slice conceptually out of that book make it their whole career mm. and do huge amounts of good in the world with it while thriving. Yeah. Like I don't know any other book unless you want to get all into like the Bible or something, which is not my jam anyway, but I don't know any other book that you could say that about. I was in a library earlier today. We were just at a park and it was middle of nowhere. Went in very little library and I went to the, the section I usually go to, that, 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 you know, that nonfiction section. Yeah. What they got in here, I picked out one book today to have a look at, and it was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And you're talking about yes. just taking one section, just yeah. looked at the contents. I yep. just looked at the contents. The contents is enough. Just the, the little mind just go, ooh, ooh, yeah. I like that. And just like you say, you could, I'm just like, the contents are good enough because someone else mentioned it recently. And it's like the books and signals start popping up because I, I like, I like a good book. I haven't read it. I feel, <laughs> and I, and I'm, I'm obviously, I looked at it earlier today. I'm like, it needs to be done. And this is just, a, it's interesting that it popped, it's popped up again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now that it's yeah. in your awareness. Yeah. And I've listened to it probably a hundred times. I mean, I literally went for about four years where I just listened to it over and over and over mm. and over and over again, because I knew there's no way I'm going to absorb all this consciously. Right. Yeah. So it's just, and I got that idea from Tony Robbins. He's like, I just, dumped books into my brain I'm like, that's what <laughs> this book yeah you know, until it just starts showing up in my choices and my actions and my behaviors you know just dump books into your brain could be it but i want to ask is there a particular quote or something someone said or just in a way it might be saying you said just in a way you like to approach your life self-help personal improvement success there's a very down and dirty 
unsexy um, component to it, which is the perseverance component, right? Yeah. There's, there's nothing glamorous about it, but it's what all successes have in common. Like just recently, I've had sort of what I would, a uh, pretty big shift. In fact, I feel like I'm still in it, in the, the shift part of it, where that struggle idea doesn't work for me anymore. But for a long time, it did to answer yeah. your question. That was, a, that was another one is uh, Tyler Durden from Fight Club. Sticking feathers up your butt does not make you a chicken. <laughs> Like I love that, one, from that film. I didn't know you were going to go that way. <laughs> yeah. Love well, it, it's funny about Fight Club, man. There is, there's a master class in, in alpha. There's a master class in masculinity. There's a master class in philosophy. You know, I mean, there's so much in that yeah. movie. That's a film I can rewatch again and again and get something different from it every time. Yeah, absolutely. From your network and probably from potentially a lot of people you've trained and worked with, is there anyone that you think would be a great interview, give value when you think Awaken Your Alpha, they pop to mind and think they'd be a good fit for the show? Mm, yeah, let's see. I've got a friend, Robert Garcia, diagnosed with a learning disability in high school, went on to, and I may, Robert, I may be misquoting this, my friend. I apologize. <laughs> no, I only mean the best for you. He went on to either learn or develop a speed learning methodology and got a PhD. Whoa, I like the sound of Robert that. Robert <laughs> is a badass. And, yeah. and the thing about Robert, though, is that his heart is huge. Like, he's just a wonderful person. I would love to hear him on your show. Brilliant. That's it. That's the recommendation. That's the one. I'm going to make an a, a, a inter, introduction for yes. you guys. Yes, please. Awesome. Yeah. In summing up, oh, finally as well. What is the best way people can connect with you if they want to find out more about you and everything you do? Come to my Facebook group. <laughs> That's the only connect I'm giving you. I want you guys to be able to experience how I do it, what I do. Um, the best way to get access to me to see how I teach what I teach, the results it has is my Facebook group. It is 1000 Speakers Academy Facebook group. And of course, I will send you the link. I have a one of yep. those little, and that'll be links. in the show notes as well. Yeah, yeah, be awesome. But Perfect. yeah, just come and join the group. Brilliant. Well, Manny, it. it's it's been an absolute pleasure today. The time has absolutely flown. I can't believe how I can't believe the time. <laughs> I'm yeah. keeping a look on it, <laughs> but it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, man. Great connecting with you. Really, and by the way, in all sincerity, really great interview. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to this episode. I really do appreciate it. And I know time is the most important asset we have. Head over to Awaken Your Alpha with ALW, the Facebook group, and get on the inside. Join the conversation. And please do support the show so we, I can continue to bring you the best in the world and share with you the struggles as well as the highs. Head over to ayalpha.com to get any goodies that are going on the website at the time and join the conversation. If you can share this on and recommend it to your friends, this is the number one men's development podcast for inspirational stories and strategies for us all to thrive as men. I'll see you next time. Do the little guy a favor. Subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my back. This show was sponsored by Assistagram.us, personal Instagram management, growth, and branding. Please do go and check that out. I'll be updating you with how the collaboration, how the partnership goes over the coming weeks and months. If you've got any questions, please do ask me 
or go direct to Zach and the team 